Chats podcast, your host Peter Mandlamebe. Uh, today we're going to be talking about a very interesting topic, one that we've previously briefly discussed around personal finances. And like always, we have a good set of guests that are going to be help, helping me tackle this discussion. Uh, please feel free to see uh, in terms of social media pages, engage with them and see exactly what they're about. Uh, but more so in terms of this particular topic, I hope you take a lot of value from what the information that's going to be shared. Uh, there's going to be a lot of gems in, shared and also just valuable information that will be useful to everyone. Uh, so today we're going to be tackling the topic of personal finances, um, a very interesting topic that at least a lot of us, especially young black professionals, have to kind of delve into, especially when you start your career or whilst you're within the career, especially even if you're starting a business, what are the kind of things that you need to be made aware of, of your personal finances? And we're going to be tackling that particular subject at hand. But before we start, it would be disingenuous of me to start the discussion without at least introducing our guests, uh, at least for you to get to know who exactly is going to be participating in this conversation. Uh, so with no further delay, I'm going to start off with Beko. Just give us the introduction of who you are, where you're based and what you do. Beko, the floor is yours. Yeah. Thank you very much, Peter. Greetings to everybody, Mulalo and Tatenda. Uh, I'm happy to be part of the broadcast and also very willing to here and learn from the both of you, really. So my name, as Peter said, is Bego Shange, but you can call me Bego for short. I'm based in KZN currently, and I'm an insurance broker for a commercial lines, a trade credit speciality. So I've been in finances, uh, in the finance field for majority of my career. So that's just a brief intro on my side. Perfect, Bego. Monaro, just give us an introduction of who you are, what you do, and where you're based. Good day. I'm Monaro Nemataeni, and I'm based in Toyando in Limpopo Province, South Africa. And I'm a certified financial planner by profession. I'm the founder and CEO of EmpowerX Advisory Services, which is an independent consulting and training company. We are an authorized financial services provider who provide advice and intermediary services. And I'm also a founder of Empowered Women Book Club, which is a book club for women. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you very much. And then lastly, Tatenda. I don't know if you want to go by Tate or Tatenda, whichever you prefer. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Peter. Either way, um, well, I go about Tatenda from a professional perspective, but well, uh, informally, people do call me Tate. Um, so I don't know whether I should be using my title yet, uh, but yeah, well, in a few months, I suppose I'll be Dr. Tatenda. So, I just completed my PhD, submitted my PhD in December, waiting for my results and hopefully they'll come out positively. I think um, they will uh, just have faith with that. So I'm basically a digital marketer and even my research surrounds um, how people can obviously improve and improvise purchases using mobile apps and how mobile apps can also be used uh, to improve uh, customer experiences. But the question will be, how did I end up being in, in property <laughs> and, and how I ended up obviously doing finance, you know? Um, I think I'm a jack of all trade. I think when I when I moved here to, to South Africa about 11 years ago, I told myself that I'm going to diversify my portfolios, even though my qualification is mostly in digital marketing and systems. 
I then ventured into entrepreneurship, um, did a various type of activities, but now mostly into property. And we just recently got a, a contract with JHC, where we are going to be now doing advertising in the property space. So we're going to be using buildings for advertising and ensuring that, you know, small, medium enterprises can also get an opportunity to tap into the outdoor media advertising space, particularly using big uh, properties in around Johannesburg. I just relocated from Cape Town. I just flew in from Cape Town just a few hours ago, and I'm really looking forward to, to share my experiences as an entrepreneur, buying my first property at 27, and not going back and diversifying and trying to ensure that whoever is listening to this podcast can know that it's not too late to, to invest. And, you know, sometimes people are going to say the stories I'm going to share are impossible. I'm going to be talking about how you can actually make property happen as little as a salary of 7,000. So I'm looking forward to engage with everyone who is also, yeah, uh, professional uh, in their own right. So looking forward to have an interesting conversation. And thank you, Peter, for awarding me this opportunity. Thanks. No, no, it's an absolute pleasure. Uh, uh, that, that's a hectic CV, but trust me, uh, I think the other two also will be able to share exactly what they also offer on their side. Uh, but I appreciate each of you. And this is why it's a beautiful thing to have different people from different backgrounds to share their views and experiences when it comes to personal finances. And again, the important thing is the audience who are mostly going to be young people, professionals, trying to make out their careers, their futures, and the information you're going to share is going to be of absolute value. So don't take this for granted. Now, I think to get the ball rolling, and I think this would be a perfect icebreaker. So like I did with the previous session I had at 10 o'clock, I opened the discussion with an icebreaker around some questions. So basically, it's a statement, and all you have to do is within one minute, give your response. So however you feel about the statement, whether you disagree, whether you want to extend to it, uh, that's up to you. So obviously, I'm going to start in the same sequence. I introduced yourself. I'm going to start with Bego, then Mularo, and then obviously Tatenda. Uh, so just, I'm going to make a statement ask you just to respond to it for one minute and from there we can start the discussion. Uh, so Bego, I'm gonna start with you. Uh, these are statements that I was asking with people who are gonna be part of the, the panel of people who are gonna ask, well, ask questions to help me form the discussion points. So the first statement that was, was made and you can just respond whichever way you feel. The rich don't get rich by spending money. You gotta spend money, we gotta spend money to make money. What is your response to that? I partially agree. <laughs> All right. The reason why uh, I say that is that the rich, when they make the statement that you have to spend money to make money, is that correct? There is an element of risks that need to be taken in order to actually gain, make a gain. So the first example that's coming to mind for me is that there's this new concept that has come in with regards to cryptocurrencies and trading on CFDs and Forex. You're trying to tell me that in order to gain, you don't need to actually spend in order to try make a gain. So for just a simple example in that regard is they usually make the benchmark to begin to start investing is to put in 5,000. 5, that's going to be you purchasing, whether it's a derivative or a cryptocurrency, et cetera, or a share. With that 5,000, there's going to be maintenance and account fees because there are different platforms that are used. So money is coming out, if you get what I'm saying, whether it's 107 Rand per month, et cetera. But if you happen to have a broker who's actually looking after that actual transaction and seeing when you can buy or sell, there is a gain to be made. Whether the 
And now it's all lies to you in terms of making a cost benefit analysis to see is the gain worth the cost that it was and more likely than it usually is because the higher the risk, indeed, the higher the return. So that's my view. I partially agree. And the reason why I don't agree, I don't know if I'm taking too much time, is because there is an element of not having cash at all and you're living to survive. Full stop. I'll stop there. Thank you. Thanks, Pego. Moraro, uh, I guess this is the next statement. And just keep it brief. Um, this is a statement I got from people who are obviously going to be watching. Uh, the statement is that saving money is a game of diminishing returns. In other words, it's a waste of time or less of value to save money, but the energy should be focused on making more money or generating more income. What is your take on in terms of one progressing financially on that? Thank you very much for the question. So on my take on saving money is that we need to save money. It's not um, a game of loss. It's a game of hope because we are hopeful for tomorrow. We know that there's going to be things that need money in the future and we are positioning ourselves so that we're better prepared. And this just makes me think about the importance of having an emergency fund because we never know what's going to happen tomorrow. But if you've got money saved, then you can start exploring other areas and then invest other money or gamble with other ones so that you can make more money. But the main element you're in your saving should be taken care of first. Thank you. Perfect. Uh, to tender, I guess, the, the last statement, you can just answer it. Um, banks are not your friend. Tatenda, you can just switch on your mic. Nah, man. Banks will never be our friend, you know. Um, one thing I can tell someone today is banks are always there to make money for themselves. I'm sure people are already working in the financial sector, Bego and them would obviously have a different perspective because that's where they make their money from. But unfortunately today, maybe I might kind of like crush your salary a little bit and, and diverse on the opposite, you know. Um, banks will never be our friend because they are just legal entities that literally collect money from multiple individuals and entities. And what banks are actually doing today is basically why we're here, that they now reinvest that money into things that will accrue quick return. And one of the quickest return you can get with a big portfolio like a, like a bank, like Standard Bank, like a, um, FNB, is that if you're able to reinvest someone's money into a property, let's just say of four hectares, and we've got about 100 units. This is just hypothetical. And tomorrow they're able to rent out those 100 units. By the time you need your money within a year, they've already made even times two, the money that you have already put into their uh, banks. And remember, you defaulting paying them back is also a challenge for yourself, which means that there are interests that are gonna be incurred and, and, and sort of. But at the end of the day, the bank can also be your friend because you cannot keep money under a pillow. In functional economies like South Africa compared to countries like Zimbabwe, for example, you cannot be keeping money uh, under your pillow. It's not safe. Uh, banks become the, the, the right channel where you have to now decipher which appropriate account holdings can you open to safeguard your money. 
but lending from banks is actually critically for me is wrong. I believe all the properties I've bought, I've never bought any of my properties on a bond and someone will be surprised how I was able to do it. But that's obviously the reason why I believe banks will never be my friend because I had a calculated risk analysis in terms of what banks earn if I was to put 500,000 with them and hopefully get an interest of like only two, 3% after a year yeah. compared to me using that 500 investing it into a, a building development construction uh, business and thereafter earn at least another 700,000 once that development is completed and I'm able to resell that property at a, like a million rand ETC. So banks will never always be our friends. They're always there to benefit themselves firstly before they benefit you. But to safeguard your money, you just have to decipher what are the right investments accounts that you can yeah. obviously tailor with to make the best decision. Yeah. Perfect. Thanks, Tatenda. Um, now, I think let's start with the discussion. And these are some points that are questions that are raised by the people who are going to probably be listening. Uh, so please feel free to be broad and expansive upon it, but also be cognizant of time. Um, so one of the points, and I'm sure you saw from the questions and pointers I raised in the email, and I told you personally, uh, one of the questions I was asked is, what financial traps should one be aware of or avoid in the early or mid-20s, especially when one is starting off their career or their personal journey to grow their finances. Um, and I can probably start with Bill, just share what you feel, even if it's one that you've personally experienced yourself, that one needs to be cognizant of. Okay. So two points actually do come to mind for me. And the first trap, I think maybe it might be generic, is indeed uh, debt. The reason why I say it is for... I'll just make mention of, let's say you want to buy a car. Yes, you're getting that 15,000 uh, salary and yes, you can afford a car. And even when you go to the car dealerships, they'll approve you for a car. And they're like, no, this is actually a good, uh, what's this? If you earn enough and you can actually afford this car. But a trap that I do see that comes into it is not so much financial, but it's also behavior-wise behavior in the sense whereby I've now 22 years old, I've graduated. I'm actually doing a graduate program at the Transnet or an asset manager who relatively pay well, and I've gotten myself a car. Now, what you must remember is that with the car, it's going to be debt and it's a me like good six years debt that comes into play. But now there is also need to maintain the car stuff that they don't usually tell you about. They don't actually make mention to you that with the financing that you can make a negotiation with an interest rate. But now you've got yourself a car, it's giving you troubles. But now because the behavior comes in the sense whereby you don't want to go back to either taking a bus or taking a taxi. So what do you do? All right, this car's giving me trouble. I've had enough of it. Now I'm going to get myself a, a new car. So now you're in this loop of debt purely because you keep on upgrading cars or changing cars. But the debt is still there. Every month, your bank accounts, ding, 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 ding. So that's the biggest trap that I've actually come to realize and I, I begin to see that if you're really not ready for it and you don't happen to have the capacity for it and you haven't maybe tried to do other things with the money that you have before getting yourself a car, you'll find yourself in that loop. And it's going to be very hard to, to get out of because there's always that notion of what are people going to say and the convenience that has come with having a car. And it does give you a sense of 
pride in that regard. So that's the first loophole that I see. I feel that, yes, a car is convenient, but it can be a trap. And it's one that you need to be cognitive of or ready for. Because the sad side to it is that stay at home, build up money. And so what if you get a secondhand car? And whereby you don't choose to go via financier, but most probably you put in the biggest deposit that you ever have and you'll find yourself only paying back a year or two years. And there you've got yourself a car and now you just need to worry about obviously maintenance, which you can get policies for that for like 200, for two years, et cetera, et cetera. Then maybe Mulalo might fight with me here, but I do see that if you're investing in life cover at a very young age, I think it does somewhat fall as a detriment because if you're a single young person you're 22 years old you happen to have yes the best thing you can use is just to acquire a property i believe because you could obviously use that but now the thing is you've got yourself this life cover and you're going to have to keep contributing to it and my question is yes you do get premium holidays and the thing is, if you happen to fall out on your payments or you happen to lose your job and you can no longer afford the life cover, it's now falling away. Because what's the benefit that you get from it there now? So those are the big two that I, I think you should actually consider as you begin to mature more in your career, then you begin to start doing your pro- own proper financial needs analysis. That's where you begin to have an idea in terms of the life that you want to live and how you want to project your finances, et cetera, because you use the ideas come first and then you can put in the money as well. But that's my viewpoint is the debts of having a car very early as well as investing in life cover. So, yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Murado, uh, you mentioned you, I don't know if you want to extend to it, uh, but uh, what is your views in terms of personal traps, financial traps, one should be made aware of, especially from a young age? Murado? Thank you very much for the question. So from my side, the one trip that I see, which exists from a young age to when a person goes until retirement is not having a flexible financial plan. And when we talk financial plan, people think we're talking about complicated things, but it's simply about addressing your financial goals and your aspirations and making sure that the money side of things is well calculated. And going to um, the previous speaker where I was prompted, life cover is cheaper when you're younger. So it's better for you to do it early before any uh, complications in your health and also before any increases because the, the older you become, the more riskier we see you as in the insurance space. Um, coming back to, to my own contribution, I would say that start with doing a budget, have a plan for your money, and also have a plan. If you, if you are 22, you have an idea of the kind of family that you want to have. You have an idea of where you want to stay. And those things will also allow you to work on the financial behavior and ensure that instead of going to spend 5,000 on a weekend drinking with friends, you're putting that 5,000 in a saving or in an investment account because you know that in the next two years, you want to have deposit for that vehicle or you want to be able to buy that property cash or um, yeah, do anything that meets your own financial goals. Thank you. Perfect. Thanks, Murado. Tatenda, uh, you've obviously heard the contributions of the two other guests. What is your extension of financial traps, whether it's one person you've experienced yourself or one that you think you've learned or seen externally 
that you need people yeah. need to be aware aware of. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll start just disagreeing a little bit with Mulalo. Uh, not trying to put a on the center pivotal, but uh, you know, at twenty two, the only thing I was thinking about was where are the best clubs in town. <laughs> you know, I wasn't thinking about trying to be, you know, thinking about life cover, trying to think about insurance, you know, best bet at 22, you're still in your prime, you're still still in varsity in most instances. So I, I'd never thought about that. But uh, there, there's something that called, that is called a turnaround in your life where you start seeing things differently. The older you get, that's when you start really planning uh, uh, in terms of where would you want to stay? What type of a business would you want to run? What type of risk assessment would you get into? Um, I'm just going to talk about my personal experiences that I wish, you know, anyone who's listening to this podcast is never going to fall into. Um, one important thing is peer pressure. At 22, 23, 24, we're all going through a massive peer pressure point. Some of our friends are getting their first jobs. You are even asking yourself, when will I ever get my first job? Some people have been showing you their, their payslips and you don't even have, you, know, you even dream of having a payslip at that age, you know, and peer pressure is flocking in to the point that by the time you actually get that first paycheck, you're trying to catch up to your friends that have already been in the game way before you. So the peer pressure mounts so quickly that you're trying to do a catch up race, you know, friend X got a job two years ago, he's driving a, a Mercedes Benz C-Class, okay? I just got a job today. And I also want to catch up to that C-class. So it's important that when you're still young, you understand that peer pressure is not the best way to go. You need to understand to yourself that you need to live within your means. You need to have a long-term plan as you go forward. So I feel like peer pressure is one of the core elements that really affect a lot of people's finances. I've been through there, seeing some of my friends driving nice cars, seeing my other friends buying houses at the early age of 24 because they are true scientists and already getting paid a paycheck of 40,000 that I would have never dreamt of in my own uh, personal capacity. So that's number one. Number two, falling for everything that comes on board. I've, I've heard about Triple M. I've heard about Pipcoin. I've been there. We lost a lot of money into those uh, nitty gritty nonsensical stuff. And it's getting worse with social media, you know? Uh, these people saying we do Forex, we do investment. Let me teach you, that's nonsense. I'm telling someone today that get away from that. We need to work hard, you know, get your hands dirty. I, I literally sleep five hours a day. Uh, if, if that is not enough for me to say I'm working hard, then, then let it be, you know? So I'm going to tell a young man that leave that nonsense. There's nothing like get rich quick. You need to work hard. You need to put in the hours. Hours are the ones that are going to get you to the next financial epitome. So the pitfall that comes with being young is falling for these uh, quick money, get money quick type of nonsensical stuff we're seeing on social media. Uh, X person did Forex. He was able to buy X and Y and Z. He's able to spend 50000 at Conquer. You know, <laughs> that's exactly what is happening. And I'm telling someone today that you need to find your footing. What's your skill set? What's your talent? Invest in your talent. Excel in your talent. Make that talent monetize and create money for you. If you're a public speaker, we have Vusi Tembigwa who's making millions from just speaking. Whether he's speaking nonsense or he's speaking something truthful, I don't know. But people are believing him. And he has literally crafted his talent to make money for him. And that's what I'm telling a young man today. If you're in acting, act well, master it, make it make money. Don't go to these 
make money quick type of processes. And the third thing that I want to do or say before I close up, because I, I don't want to take too much time, is networking. When you're young, that's the best time to create a holistic network uh, process. You know, I'm, I'm just fortunate that I did go to good schools. Um, in my time, I went to Monash University. I was learning with kids that came from different countries, Tanzania, Kenya, you name it. And fortunately, I was that person who always wanted to create friends. And, and those friends were not about just friendship because we're going to go to party tomorrow. I strategically sat down and say, what can I benefit from this friend that can take me to the next level? Considering that I didn't really come off from a well family. I, I was brought up by a single mother. We struggled to even pay school fees. I literally got there because of a scholarship and a bursary. So I was able to now get in contact with these people who are in the right places. So networking is very important because networking is where some opportunities that you would have never thought of literally emerge and come out of. That's why I then call myself an entrepreneur because it was one of those things whereby because I have a powerful network and someone knows my skill set, they'll come, hey, but you can speak, right? Do you mind doing A, B for us? Oh, but you're in digital marketing. There's a client X who wants an assistance with one, two, three, a website, a social media strategy. I make money from that. Uh, someone tells me, okay, you've done research. You know how to supervise people. There is money there. Oh, you already own buildings. You already own property in marketing. Guess what? We've thought of an idea. We want to do advertisement on buildings. And you then venture into those different types of entrepreneurial aspects that can then monetize and create your funding and your finance back into your pocket. So pitfalls are obviously the peer pressure, running for every nitty little thing to make quick money, work hard youngsters, you need to work, put in the work, put in the sweat, put in the blood, and it will reap profits for you. And then last but not least, just have a good network of friends, you know? Every friend of yours, you have to calculate and say, Peter, what does Peter bring to the table? If Peter is not going to allow me to be in a podcast that can actually get me known by the next 1,000 people, then there's no point in me networking with him, you know? So I need to understand that whoever I'm in, I'm in contact with should be taking me to the next level. So that's basically my, my oversight in terms of that question. Thank you so much, Peter. Thanks, Tatenda. Um, yeah. It's a valuable point. Um, I hope your friends are not going to be, hopefully Tim Fusi Tembo Choir is not listening to this podcast as well, uh, but shots fired. But um, yeah, I think there's, there's a lot of aspects which one has to be made aware of, especially when you're starting off your career or your young journey to making money. Um, and it's quite complicated. Maybe this leads to my second question. You know, the stuff like black tax, a lot of us have to face, you know, you start working or you start making an income, you have a business, but then maybe you come from a poor background and as much as you're trying to grow yourself financially, start developing your independent life, you also have to contribute back home and create a support structure in which you make sure that people, your family and so forth, your dependents are kept after. So the question is, to what extent do you think, and this is obviously one I'm sure many of you have had before thought about, is the extent or impact of the family structure in which a lot of us come from and how it impacts our finances and how do we navigate past growing one, your personal finances, by the same time managing to support your family? I know it's a very complicated thing to explain or ask, uh, but please feel free to interpret it in any way you want. Beko, you can start. So I believe it does have a huge bearing in terms of how you progress in life as well, because um, growing up in KZN, uh, whether it be the Midlands or whether it be in the coast 
I have come to see that due to pure, if I could call it family planning, you find yourself in a situation whereby black tax is, is a must. So usually either whether you are the oldest or the youngest, it impacts you because you find the oldest child maybe not is not working and you're the first one to actually work. And there comes in the, the notion of you feel bad if you're not helping out at home when you can see that the situation is bad in the sense whereby, okay, let me just buy the groceries for this month because usually it's either, I was, I'm also raised by a single parent. So, and along with my relatives, you see that there's that thing of you want to help out and chip in to help out with your mother, you know? And then there's the elements of relatives. There you have a stronger bargaining power whereby you can just easily say no. But purely because of how you, the position you are born in, it does tend to hold you back. And it's more of, it's, I'm trying to think of an English word for it. It's, yeah, you feel bad and you feel the obligation. It just, just comes to actually help out and chip in. And the solution I've come to find with regards to that is don't share everything in the sense of maybe that's just how I've come to see it in terms of how much you earn or better yet, even when you're getting paid. So maybe you might, that's the solution I find just to find your way going forward is you might get be paid on the 27th. Hey guys, make mention you're getting paid on the 30th or something. Thereby, Wade will force you now to think of a strategic plan. I did a learnership for, you know, I wasn't earning even that much. I hope I was graduating. It was 2,500 in long-term insurance. And I even told myself, if I can just save at least 300 rand per month, and then the rest obviously went towards transport and obviously going in to help with petrol here and there, getting help with my niece if she's going to crash. And that's it. I never mentioned when we're getting paid, but I just said, if I can get 300 in, and I was able to do it for the whole 12 months, but it's a starting point. So that's why I believe it does really hold you back and you become... If you happen to say no, you become that rebel, the rebel child whereby you don't care about your family and you get talked about even spread around the relatives and like this, it becomes really that bad. And now you ask yourself, do I actually even have family? And it just ripples onto a whole nother effect. But for black tax is a thing and it's there, but I do believe that as a person, try maneuver. That's all I can say right now. I appreciate that. Monado, um, and not necessarily to ask the same question, but if you want, you can extend on it. Uh, there's a question around a savings account, an emergency fund, uh, and obviously there's a breakdown of how one should look at their budget. Um, and the question is always, what's the point of having a budget if you earn peanuts? You know, if you're earning seven thousand rand, three thousand rand in this economy. If, if let's say, for example, the element of black tax, you know, let's say. Is you already have to contribute back home. You have to support your family. Maybe you have a child already, whatever the case is. There's so many responsibilities a lot of Black people have. And how does one navigate managing a small budget or a small amount of money, especially if one wants to at least sustain themselves going forward? Mdaro? Thank you very much for, for the question. In my comment earlier on, I indicated that one needs to have a financial plan. And there is like six areas of financial planning. And this one that speaks about budgeting and saving and emergency fund is that of personal financial management. So it's very important that one has a budget in place because the budget is simply a plan for your money. 
if you're earning 3,000 Rand or 7,000 Rand or even 50,000 Rand or 100,000 Rand, if you don't have a plan, you'll end up wondering where your money went because you didn't tell it where to go. So when you budget or when you have a plan for your money, you are taking the power and directing your money where you want it to go. And for those who will say, I used to have money, I don't know where it went, money always leaves footprints. It can either be footprints on your bank statements, it can be footprints in the receipts that you have on your purse. So those things, if you sit and ensure that they form part of your planning, it makes it easier for you to enjoy your money. You mentioned about savings and emergency fund. So saving can be used as an emergency fund. It's not a separate thing. It's just you deciding on a vehicle that you are going to use in order to save money for that specific goal. So it's no point you saving money without attaching a goal to it. You need to save, and then you must say this one is for when there's emergencies. You need to save to say that this one is in case when I need to also help out with the family. You need to save and say, in case there's opportunities, it's no longer just emergency funds, seeking funds. There's also opportunity funds because sometimes there's things that come our way, but we don't even have money to take part on those opportunities. So it's very important that one has a plan for their money. And also when it comes to black tax, uh, it's not a burden. It's our reality and it's up to us. If you're fortunate enough to bring a change, then do it now because if you leave it too long, it's going to go on to the next generation and delay other people or your family or productive and, and also communicate to your family members. You can simply communicate in terms of how much you'll be able to contribute so that they know that months can differ, but at least they can also have their plan knowing that some of the money will come from your side. And if you don't have, also communicate so that they don't depend on you and not make other plans and then you are not able to, to contribute. And that affects relationships in a negative way. So let's do what is best for us and best for our families so that the next generation can also benefit. I thank you. Thanks, Moraro. Um, Tatenda, you've obviously heard the other two guests in terms of obviously black tax, the importance of emergency funds, and also just personal planning in terms of just how you use your money and allocate it. Now, now I wanna pitch a scenario obviously, and this maybe go back to the next question that I'll be having. Now you only have 3,000 Rand that you're earning 7,000 Rand. And you mentioned that someone can own a property, let's say earning so little. Now there's a question around having a side hustle because now if you're earning so little, maybe there's a consideration, maybe you need to expand your level your streams of income. What is your view around having a side hustle or having a different stream of income that can at least be capitalized based on how much you earn? Well, what's your view on that? Yeah, uh, I've always been a, an avid believer in, in inside hustles and multiple streams of income. You know, uh, I, I'm a Christian uh, and, and I'm not trying to put my, my religion on anyone, but even in the Bible, it does say that, you know, you need to invest across different countries and different uh, spheres, because if you invest into one little pocket or one little uh, uh, um element you never know something might destroy it look at a farmer if you're a farmer and 
you were basically going to have crops on that one farm and it's a bad season. That means that I don't have any source of sustainability for that season because all my crops have been destroyed by the unfavorable weather conditions. So multiple streams of income is always important. I want someone right now who is depending on that eight to five to think hard and say to him or herself, what else can I do that can get me money besides the 25th paycheck. There are a lot of things that you can do, you know? It's just that people limit themselves from thought. People limit themselves from thinking outside the box. People always want to think, oh, I don't have much time. Everyone has time. You can actually forfeit that Saturday of going to see friends and family and invest in a side hustle that can actually get you the next penny check. I've been in multiple side hustles ever since I was in primary. Funny enough, I've been selling. I'm a seller. I close deals. That's me. I'm a seller. And when I get into sales, I'll sell anything. I even used to joke with my friends saying I could actually sell you a secondhand underwear and you buy it because that is the theory that you should have as a person who wants to create multiple streams of income. So I've sold detergents. I've sold in university. People used to know me as the mobile book seller because I would take second-hand books from those third years that have completed their degree, come back and sell it to the new third years and make a profit from it and save that money so that it could actually generate me other money. I've entered into uh, 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 selling um, construction for some reason. I got into construction at UJ, where I partnered with one of the quantity surveyors. They got a team of qualified plumbers, told them, guys, this is what you're going to earn. But I had to calculate how much I was going to get from that construction site and then see the difference in terms of the profitability. And then at the end of the day, I was able to sustain myself. So just to sustain, to, to cement on your point about what I think about multiple streams of income, it's important. You can never rely on one. And if you're one person who wants to build either a portfolio in property, you want to build a portfolio in starting a business that can obviously have to be financed from your pocket at the first go. Because remember, usually many businesses, if you don't have investors, that's money that you need to pay your employees. Your employee wants his or her salary at the end of the month. You need to make sure there's provision for that. So you need to think about what are the means that I can make multiple streams of income and everything should be legal because if it's illegal, it will always buy back. So I'm talking about legal uh, streams of income that you can look into. Uh, currently, I even want to start thinking wider in terms of manufacturing, you know, I don't know what I want to manufacture. I've never been in manufacturing, but it's something that I'm now starting to study and get to understand because I feel if you are the producer of a product, then you've got the, the upper hand in ensuring that you can actually sell it and resell it to the reseller, the reseller will sell it to the consumer. So that's just a concept I'm really studying towards and trying to understand. So if you don't know about something, read into it, understand it, capture it and have a better understanding. Now, back to the issue of black ticks, you know, it's a, it's a very touchy subject, especially like what Bego said, you know, being raised by a single parent is, is not something that's easy to anyone, you know. Uh, those effects will always run you till even when you get your own family that, you know, I didn't have a father at some point who could have shown me some of these manlyhood activities that I could have had. 
And, and for me, it's basically appreciating my mom for all the, the pain points that obviously she has gone through. But in terms of black ticks, you know, uh, as, as youngsters, we're trying to still build ourselves up. You still need to also start your own family. You still need to also buy a property for investment. I suggest that it shouldn't be pinpointed on it's a must to give your mom 5,000 rand. It should never be like that. It's a way of discussing it. It should be a very transparent conversation with your loved one to say, hey, my beloved one, I love you so much. I would love to contribute something to your livelihood. Uh, uh, you raised me, you took care of me. And, and maybe this month I was able to do 1,000. Maybe next month I'll do 2,000. But for now, this is what I have. It should be a very transparent uh, uh, discussion. I myself, I'm in black ticks. I don't, I'm not shying away from it. I give my mom a certain percentage of my salary and for me to me it comes as a big blessing you know uh giving is something that comes with blessings for me personally i've seen it i've watched it happen in my own life where things are so tough you know but because of that giving that i did to my mom just a month ago doors just continue happening doors just open when you think the door is closing so for me it comes on from a, a christian perspective it comes on from seeing what my mom went through trying to get me to the best schools possible selling tomatoes on the streets uh changing jobs here and there opening a factory that's where i got my entrepreneurship uh, 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 uh knowledge from her to show me that you can get into selling peanut butter peanuts on the streets and this could actually get you to school so black takes is something that we as black people should not just generalize it as it's a bad thing some would say it is some people don't think it should be something that you can invest in but my own personal point of view is it's something that you need to discuss with your loved one whoever has to be the receiving end of this uh, uh, money and, and make it very conversational and tell them even plans that you have to say you know what I would have loved to do more but I'm a 30 year old I also want to start a family. Soon I'm going to have a wife. It's not going to be all the time that I'm going to be able to do 5,000 because now I have a kid on the way. Now I can only do 500. And it's also something that breaks family bonds, by the way, which then also affects your finances. So I'm still within topic, you know, because you have your wife and you disagree in terms of, oh no, Tatenda, you cannot contribute 5,000 to your mom. We need that 5,000 to at least do renovations at our newly bought house. So now that affects your finances because your wife thinks that you're not actually saving towards what you had planned to do or to achieve. Now money is being taken to your family. It's not bringing about growth within the family dynamics and, and all this starts happening, these conflicts and things like that. So just on that point, I'm trying to build family bonds. I'm trying to make um, transparent conversation towards black techs and hopefully your family members can be understanding uh, just to close up on my point is in, in, in my culture, we've got this um, saying that says, uh, meaning that, you know, take care of it so that in future it takes care of you. And it's just how things are going to go with life. The same way that we are energetic, Bego is energetic, Mulalo is energetic, why are our prime, you know, to run around energetically? To, to, to achieve whatever we're doing in our different um, uh, uh, professions. But there'll come a time when we're 70 and we cannot do all these things that we can do now. And we need those little kids that we have taken through high school, primary school, kindergarten, to one day be able to come and say, Dad, Bego, Mommy Mulalo, um, I just came to just say, you don't have groceries. Here, let me take care of you, you know? Because pensions are running dry. 
countries are going through hyperinflation. Your pension is not going to be the same and it's not going to be sustainable in the next coming years. So it's important that we take care of black ticks so that black ticks can have a spillover effect in future to take care of us. It's not mandatory, it's not by force, but these should be discussions that should be transparent. Even when your child is growing, these are things you should be talking to them about. My mom used to talk to me about it, that can you see how I'm struggling to take care of you? I hope one day, my son, when you do make it, even if you're gonna get a job of 5,000, remember me as your mom, even buy me a suite, you know, I will pray that that suite can actually multiply and amplify into something bigger and better. So it comes with blessings, it comes with doors that open your financial success yeah. going forward. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Nintendo. That's 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 very valuable. And I think uh, I guess to beggar your 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 idea of not telling them the date <laughs> might not work in this sense, but transparency is key as both Moraro and Tatenda have shared. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think and please forgive me for trying to go through different areas and we've spoken about side hustle, black tax. I'm just trying to be cognizant of time. I wish I could have at least two hours to fully cover some of these things in detail because black tax on its own. Um, savings, emergency funds on its own this is quite a topic on its own. And I'm just trying to be cumbersome of the amount of time we have to cover all these different points. So I think maybe another question, maybe this goes to another point. Um, and you've heard Bego what their view is around, you know, side hustle, making a second income. And obviously it's a lens of, for example, um, saving as well. Now from a long-term approach, you know, there's important financial planning and setting financial goals. Uh, there's always the idea of you know, looking and investing your money so that you make some return. Because it's one thing to work and get a side hustle. You're on the streets on Saturdays trying to drive an Uber or whatever the case is. But there's always the importance of maybe looking at putting your money somewhere where you can grow. Uh, if let's say you're a young person, there's things like unit trusts and so forth, so forth. What are kind of things, lenses of investment tools one should be made aware of? There's property, et cetera. But in your view, what are ones people kind of have to kind of be made aware of in that kind of sense of investing for long-term return? Sorry about that. Um, I fully advocate for investing. Um, looking at also the, like the situation or the country-wise, I've always been <clears throat> thinking in terms of there's working in the public and in the private sector. The benefits that come with GPFN, et cetera, they're actually, they're very good. But now I'm looking at, I'm in the private sector. There is a possibility of funds running out, you know? So now there is that thing where I ask myself, what can I possibly do that could assist me that when I do retire, that I also still have a certain level of income coming in. So when I look at the scenario of my mother, she was married. And what happened is my father passed away. What helped out with her is that his pension uh, that he had actually went to her and it will forever be coming until she passes away. See that kind of notion there, whereby there's something that amplified her that assisted in terms of her raising us. So now when I look at myself, I'm in the private sector. I don't see working in government. Not that I'm talking bad about it, but there's that thing in me whereby what can I do in order for me that will assist and amplify money that I'll get in the long term or even the short term. And I've been speaking to different people, like I was only made aware, like 2017, the South African Reserve Bank, they actually issued shares to the public. And I've uh, read correctly, 20 cents, well, 20, 20 cents in a rand is paid out in dividends annually. The, 
the Reserve Bank isn't going anywhere, but that could have been something that should obviously I was aware of and had the money at the time, something towards looking at right now. But in terms of for investing, and I do believe that you should do the research. There are very different tools that we can look at. Yes, we can also invest in companies. I know Vodacom, well, right now, because I do read up on the JSC and how shares are going, they and MTN are one of the telecommunications companies that are worthwhile investing in, both in the short term and the long term. They even have a subdivision called Yeboyetu, where they actually want black shareholders to be part of it. So that kind of notion, doing your research, and um, I was speaking with my financial planner, is making me aware of the retail bonds with South Africa. And actually, it has a guaranteed return, and it's less riskier than all the unit trusts that are that people are making made of the asset managers. So I do believe that you do put money aside, even if you don't know what it's for. I've come to realize that the ideas do happen to come as and when you know you've been putting money aside. Like now, I've also been saving money. One of the notions that came is that it did help me out when I uh, wasn't working for like nine months. That's where the emergency obviously fund came into play. But at the same notion, I see that, hey, let me put money aside that should I'm ready and I'm wanting now get my own place to stay. That's going to be mine. I've got money that's purely for the furniture that I'm going to buy. And I'm going to negotiate because I do want my place when I'm saying to look X, Y, Z. So in terms of investing, I do uh, do the research, find the different tools which you can actually uh, invest in the platform, whether it may be with a liberty, whether it may even be with the bank, as I tend to say, yes, they really give you the worst returns, actually. But when you're a lender, it's a different scenario. There's a uh, those different funds, even going into the JSC and even considering offshore, you just broaden your horizon and putting your money in different baskets. So investing is a thing and just to always ensure that your money is safe and that it's capital guaranteed because you're investing to make money and not actually lose it, you know, whether it be a long term or short term or medium. So that's my views on investing. Perfect. Thanks, Bego. Um, Rado, um, I guess maybe this is where you can come in. What is your view around investing? Um, what avenues or tools are out there that can at least help someone make return on putting money aside? Rado? Okay. Yeah. Thank you very much for the question. So there's two different things. There's saving and then there's investing. And once we've mastered saving and then we show that our emergency fund is well provided for, then we can look at other avenues. In the bank itself, they invest your money and we call it cash. So there's the concept of asset classes where there is cash, there is bonds, there's property, and then there's also shares. So cash as the low risk asset class is where the investment products are provided for within the bank itself. And with that, there's also three different types of investments where the first one money is available and then you earn um, a little bit and then if you need money you don't have to pay any penalties if you want to take your money the second one being a notice deposit and then if you want your money then you place a notice depending on the number of days that you've selected and then the third one it's a fixed one and then with that the interest is a little bit higher compared to the first two that i spoke about so it will all depend on what your needs are and when you're going to need the money 
The second one being the bonds, the most famous one being the one that um, the previous speaker has mentioned, the government bonds. So Treasury is always ready to share information around the, the government bonds product. We also hosted them last year in July, Savings Month. And then they gladly shared about the product itself and how people can start investing. So it can be another avenue that one can look at. And then there's property, either shares in property or the physical property itself, which I know that the next speaker will speak more on. And then the last one is shares. So with shares, it can also be through unit trust where you've got fund managers that are managing the, the money for you. So they know which funds to select and then where to invest the money. So the risk there can be managed. But even in that, there's different kinds that are available, which would need one to sit with someone who's knowledgeable in that area. And then they'll be able to guide you and show you which one is the best. So it's up to you. Other people are going the easy equity route where they're investing directly in shares. So there you take the full responsibility. You take the full risk in order to select the type of shares that you want to invest in. But people should explore all those things and it should also be part of your financial plan. You need to know which money you are saving, which money you're investing and what the goals are attached to those particular products that you are selecting. Thank you. Thanks, Murado. Tatenda, um, this, this is obviously coming to you now. What's your view on investing? Now, obviously you specialize most on the property side and you take a large interest in that side. What is you know, kind of avenues one can look at, especially property or any other avenue that you think for long-term return can be of benefit to a young person? Yeah, no, thanks Thanks for the question, Peter. Um, I, th I think uh, all the speakers have, have, have literally given uh, a wide spectrum of options that people can look at, which I think are actually great. Um, and people should just, you know, do their research and, and, and get a, a good... Um, financial advisor to, to, to look at which option is actually the best from the ones that are there. But remember, um, sometimes people fall in the pitfall of just getting a financial advisor or a financial planner. And remember also these individuals have their interests at heart. There's no financial planner from FNB who's going to be telling you that no, go to Standard Bank, you'd actually get a better return. There's no, if there is, they should come here on this platform and tell us if they've done that to any of their clients because they've got a code of conduct that they also have to abide by so that they can get you know, customers to come in, in on board. Uh, fortunately for me, I've never had a financial planner. I'm not saying it was a wise decision for me to do. I've always been someone who has been conscious about finances. I've never cared even if I had friends who would tell me I'm stingy because I can only spend 200 rand on a drink. That's what I have. And, and you need to be very, very uh, uh, concrete and, and stubborn in terms of how you release money. Whatever people say, I work hard for that money. So you have no authority in whatever capacity to tell me how my money should be spent. So I had always been cognizant that if 500 rand should go into my joy, my fun, my entertainment, once it's dried up, I'm never going to go into my savings and try and take it out so that I can please my entertainment. If it's not there, it's not there. And that's just how I've managed to, 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 to basically know how to behave and handle money appropriately. My, my, my motto is basically this way. 
Uh, I've got an eight to five job. I've always had an eight to five job, I think, uh, since I finished my honors, which was about 2015, 2014, somewhere there. Um, forgetting the dates, so, years, are, years are flying by. But anyway, I've always told myself that 60% of my salary would always go to savings. It's a very difficult uh, uh, um, uh, a process to implement. But now it goes back to also downgrading your standard of living because you're saving for a greater cause. I will tell you that on my first salary of 4,500, I saved 60% of that. The rest of the money would come from side hustles will still also go to the 60% savings. And I will have to downgrade where I stay. I had to stay in a commune. If it meant even sharing a room, it had to be done because you are sacrificing for a greater goal. And guess what? I was able to buy my first car on a 4,500 salary cash. I've never gone to a bank to get an installment for anything that I've bought. All my stuff is paid for in full because you need to have financial discipline. If you have that 4,000 Rand, ask yourself, 60% has to go into my savings. But the question is, what are you saving for? So there has to be a reason why you're saving that 60. Because if you're just putting it aside to say, okay, I'm just putting it aside, I'm going to struggle, I'm going to buy groceries for 200 and I'll struggle if it's done, then I'll rather have a one meal a day. Then that's not the cause. There has to be an end goal. So I've done my research to know that, okay, I want a car. But this car was not for me to maneuver around and go about playing. I needed that car so that it could open doors for my side hustles. So what with my side hustles? My side hustles meant I could do multiple things in different locations because I had convenience of a car that will allow me to get that revenue in those different areas. I had to go to a construction site to see what people are doing. I had to go to a detergent plant to see if my detergents have been put on a truck and they're being taken to the destination to the customer. So you have to plan according that way. Then obviously I started having a bigger budget in terms of my salary went up and then 60% was still the ethos. Now I got into property. I had to get into the inner CBD because I did my research to say, you know, in inner CBD, things like maintenance and renovations are very, very limited. You know, people in the CBD are not looking for fancy housing. They just want a place to sleep. You know, that's what they think of. If a cupboard is broken, they'll have that cupboard broken for a year. They don't care. I walked into one of my properties and I asked the, the tenants there, I said, guys, I see there's a cupboard that is broken. I see there's a wiring that's not properly done. Can, can I fix all these things so that you have a conducive environment to stay? It was going to be a cost on me, the landlord. But guess what? They would say, why are you bothering yourself, sir? As long as I'm paying your rent, leave these things to us. So what I'm basically saying is you need to look for an investment that can grow quicker and less costly in terms of maintaining it as well. So now I started with the inner CBD, getting properties of about 200, 250,000, built onto that profitability where all the rentals will go into buying the next, the next plus my 60% that I'm saving to then grow my portfolio. We are at a point whereby we are saying, if you are starting to buy property, and even if you want to start by bond, it's still fine get into property from the inner CBD and grow yourself outwards because that for me has lesser risk by any means necessary. If you're going to buy a property for 250000 in inner CBD in Pritchard Street, you know, if that property for whatever reason, um, it gets bent down, 
what will be the loss between that versus you buying a property of 1 million, hoping to make it an investment? Plus, by the way, the return on that 1 million property will take even a longer time than the inner CBD. I've done my calculations with my chartered accountant. We've sat down, we've done, we've cracked the numbers. And that's exactly what we've done. So now going into investment, I would say for a young person or even an older person who's 40, 50, and they're saying it's too late to invest, you know, give me a shout. Uh, you can email me uh, to tender at uh, spacerentals.co.za. We will navigate the process for you. We'll give you portfolios that we've bought in, portfolios that are available to buy in, and we'll literally guide you in terms of even managing the property for you to ensure that we house your property, we get tenants for you. And one good thing about the inner CBD, it will always have tenants. When COVID struck, many people in the high urban areas moved in with their parents because they could not afford that rental of 7,000, 9,000, 10,000. In a CBD, we're looking at someone paying rent of 3,000. And usually they would not go anywhere because some of them even work in the CBD. So very little movement came out of the inner CBD. There was actually more traffic of people demanding uh, uh, places to stay in the inner CBD when COVID struck. So are we going to wait for another pandemic for people to learn to say you don't actually start from the outer high-end properties, start from those small little package properties, do the calculations. My first property, I bought it when I was 27, and I'm not going to lie to you. It's already been, what, four, five, six years since I had that property. You know, I'm holding on to it because it was my first baby, but it's no more making me much money. But within the next four years, I would have actually got my initial investment on that property. It would not have to take me 20 years to get that money back. So for anyone who wants to uh, um, get into inner CBD, is starting a portfolio in property, we'll collect the numbers for you. We'll show you the properties that we have on the listing. We'll show you what we are selling off. We've got international investors as well who are coming on board, who are buying in this inner CBD. Um, I, I don't know if this should be out, but well, there's a famous comedian in South Africa whose mom is even listed on one of our um, uh, portfolios, who has bought over 30 properties in the inner CBDs. And she knows that once she gets to a 60 in retirement, she'll be able to get that as a sustaining income for her. And it's going to pay off itself in terms of debt wise, if she got some of them on a bond and things like that. So that's number one, starting the inner CBD. We're there to talk to you about it, but don't just say, oh, I got a cheap property in the inner CBD, let me buy it. No, there's a lot that goes into it. We also need to do what we call building asset evaluation is that building that your property is in, is it going to get you an investment? Because once the building is in debt with the municipality or whatever, that means that that will eat onto the levies that you're gonna pay. Because remember, if you own a property in a building, the levies are subjective to increase based on how much debt that building is in. So that will now eat onto your levies, that will eat into your return on investment, that will eat onto the rental return that you would have planned. And we need to do all those assessments. So. Sometimes also real estate agents are also putting a bigger mark up. It's always also good to also start with people who are reputable, who have been there for a very long time. Not always the bigger real estate agents, not that I'm trying to buy business out of them, but it's always good to compare. Okay, what is the offer from a big real estate agent like Remax, uh, like Liberty, like whoever is out there versus this new guy's the tender says he's got a portfolio of 50 apartments in the inner CBD. He wants to sell them off to me as a new investor. 
what am I getting between one and two? We also offer management of these properties. So we manage it, we advertise the place for you to get people to rent into it. We also make sure that the, the tenants are well kept. You know, there's nothing as good as customer service. Just checking in on your tenants once in a while, even a phone call, is everything okay? Is everything fine? If a tenant complains that, oh, I have a broken window, I need it fixed, efficiency in sorting that out, even though you know that the rentals are small rentals and even the type of people who are staying, they are not the high end or middle income, they are the low end, low income earners. At the end of the day, people are people and customer service to me is a very important thing. I have to treat my customers with utmost respect because they are the ones who are injecting those, my, those funds back into my bank account. Then lastly, before yeah. I go further, yeah. lastly, is to also have a short-term investment account. So look at short-term investment accounts that could give, give you the fastest return. So for me personally, uh, I don't wanna market the bank, but Bank X gives me a very good return. I think at the moment when I put 200,000, within a year, I'm able to earn about 210,000, which is not much, but that 10,000 compared to it sitting at home and me investing it and getting it back as an accrual, for me, it's actually a good way to still get money out of it but it wouldn't be the best compared to me actually buying a property for 200 and getting the rentals, which are going to give me way more than 10,000 in return. So that's just basically my advice, but I support everyone else who has spoken earlier on. Thanks. Thanks, Atenda. And yo, I must say all three of you have given a lot of gems and I wish there was so much more time for us to delve into some of these things and how hopefully least to have you guys back for maybe other discussions, even on an individual basis. Um, but one thing I'll definitely ensure is that each of you get at least your contacts out there and share your information. So at least you can push out the information, the knowledge you have. Uh, Mularo has an NGO and also she also is, provides her own uh, in, in PowerX um, advisory services as well, as you can see. So I think was all that will be very cumbersome to at least share that out and get young people informed. We always speak about financial education, uh, but you know, it's, it's time that we put into action and get people educated about these things. Um, yeah, so I really appreciate all the information you've shared. I think for the sake of time, I'm going to try to close it now. So you're just going to share your last parting views. And the question is also going to relate to within COVID and COVID-19, the past two years, what is one financial lesson you've learned and how do you carry that financial lesson to the rest of your life? Uh, so that's basically how you would interpret that is up to you. Uh, but I'd hope at least you can share something that's personal that someone else can take value and see that I'm not alone. And I can see that something that's value to me as well. Bego? Um, so the biggest lesson that I could take away considering what COVID is actually bought is um, literally living within your means. I want to say live your humble life. But obviously, humble life can differ from person to person. And everybody has their preferences as well. I attended a financial literacy summit back in my third year, it was 2014, the whole FSCA, FSCA was there and um, the biggest other banks were there along with asset managers who do collective schemes. And the biggest drive was that they wanted to promote financial literacy to obviously primary school kids and high school as well as uh, varsity. And the one thing that I got from it was that they did learn that, that I learned was that money is a behavioral thing if your behavior with regards to money you if you're wasteful with it 
there's nothing that you could gain from from it as well. See, when uh, Mulalo made mention that your money, what you do with it, does leave a trail, whether it's a trail in terms of look at where it's invested in that property, the money I've used has gotten me, I mean, this car, which actually got me this, my money has gotten me a wardrobe of, you know, that's even clothes that you don't need, or there's a whole lot of slips. So it's that thing of, having a good relationship with your money as well as being able to be self-aware in terms of how you'd like to make use of it in that regard. So with me, and I will share the personal stories that um, obviously having not worked for nine months and I have got myself a car, when I say that I've lived a humble life, it did allow me to actually be able to make use of the money that I had put aside to actually keep the car installments uh, going because I didn't want to lose it, you know? So I wasn't I, I wasn't working. There's still cars that needed to be maintained. So obviously coming with the plan of canceling the insurance, taking the COVID relief, anything just so that I could still, still keep it. And I asked myself that if, you know, I didn't have the presence of mind that it's okay to put money uh, aside and you might not have a reason for it then, but it does actually come up in times to come. And now I've seen the use of why it's necessary to do have an emergency fund because the future is uncertain in that regard. So uh, the biggest lesson I could say going forward is that have a good relationship with your bank statements, have a try to have a good relationship with your money and just be self-aware in terms of what you want your money to do for you because it is a tool so yeah thanks Pego. i really appreciate that Murado, um what is it that you'd like to share um as a valuable lesson from the past two or well, two years or so from covid and what's one thing that you'd like to share about that what i can say is that it's very important to have a flexible financial plan And this plan will cover you even when there is unfortunate circumstances around us. And my closing one is that every decision is a financial decision. So anything that you do today affects your finances. Even the places you go to affects your finances. The clothes you wear, it's a decision that you've made, but there's the financial aspect to it. So it's very important that we do that. On a personal story with COVID, for me, it was like, there's always two sides of the coin. I was working in the bank. My experience is in banking. So private banking, business banking, financial planning. But during COVID, I was like, okay, people are being laid off. And the bank that I used to work on didn't lay off people. They always assured us that. But I asked myself, what's the worst that could happen if I leave the bank and focus on my passion, which is financial literacy and entrepreneurship on a full-time basis? And I did just that. And I'm so happy that I made that decision. It was in June, 2020, COVID had just started. I was working in a flexible job. I could work from home. I could assist my clients, but I was like, what's the worst that could happen? So keep the curiosity. There's always the other side of the coin and every decision is a financial decision. Thank you. Beautiful, that's, that's beautiful. Tatenda, what's, what's, your, what's your parting words, especially from something you've learned from the past two years or so. And yeah, what, what do you want to share in this regard? Yeah, thank, thank you, Peter. Uh, and thank you to 
the previous speakers as well you know um it's been it's been a humble experience to just look at um all the the wonderful and insightful um uh, commentary that was provided i think for the past two years what i really learned was not to be um scaled into a, a black box so don't always think that you will survive in one space or one area of your your skill set always do more than where you are um, a lot of platforms have been created online that are providing short courses training courses so my key learning points when COVID hit was to upskill myself outside my comfort zone and i learned a lot in terms of how i need to navigate out of just one thing that i'm good at and try work on multiple things that i'm not good at but i can learn and acquire new knowledge to ensure that that could help me survive in this pandemic and by the way this is not the only pandemic that we're going to face with the way things are going we're going to have more different types of pandemics and we do not know maybe the next one will affect the banking sector we have no idea maybe the next pandemic is going to affect us in, in in real estate you know it has it did and we even saw the whole trans transactory of people moving from urbanized areas the high expensive rentals to low cost rentals because people were being laid off people were being retrenched so that also tells me that there's a learning curve of living within your means like what what Bego was also saying live within your means but in those means ensure that you're also making sound financial planning guidelines that will help you survive so for me those were key takeaway points and last but not least i just want people to to, to look at COVID as an opportunity okay a lot of things happened in COVID. I saw a lady who used to sell sanitizers in 2018, and people were not buying a sanitizers. But look at when COVID came, she became a millionaire overnight. And she's managed to get into investment, she got a good accountant to help her make sound financial uh, planning decisions with that million that she was awarded straight after COVID hit. So it's always good to do research in terms of what's upcoming, and always be prepared to ensure that whatever your side hustles or your other multiple streams of income are doing are going to multiply going forward. So like I said earlier on, I've already started researching on manufacturing. What I want to manufacture, I have no idea yet, but I'm still looking at why manufacturing? How would manufacturing help? Maybe I want to manufacture a mask. Maybe I want to manufacture the, the gas uh, that will help us overcome the next pandemic. I don't know. But it's always good to do research and development. And just in my closing remarks, thank you, Peter, for affording me this chance to come on this platform. I, I look forward to being invited in the near future, even on a different uh, uh, topic, as long as it helps people to basically grow themselves. And I'm always available and LinkedIn for people to come get onto my LinkedIn, follow, uh, connect with me on my LinkedIn, Tatenda Chabata. Let's take the discussion from there. Let's share each other's contacts. You might have an experience that you want to share with me. I'm always open to learning from others. So for me, it's always a learning curve being on this platform or such platforms per se. And looking forward for many more other podcasts where I can share. I can also get people to share and we learn from this. And also, it's not about just listening to the podcast. 
it's also about applying what we've learned. I'm going to apply some of the things that Pego has said. I'm going to put them into implementation. Mulalo said some exciting things that I would also want to get into the ground running and implement and see them working for me. So whoever is going to also watch this tomorrow, next week, next month, I hope they'll also put it into implementation phase and not only the listening phase. So thank you so much, Peter, and all the other guests that were here. Thank you, Tatenda. I, I must say sincerely from the bottom of my heart, I think I wish time was inevitably lasting forever and you could just pause time and just let conversations go on. Uh, but there was so much valuable information each of you have shared. And I wish there was just much more time to discuss and delve more into each of them. Uh, but I think even beyond, like you said, beyond the point of talking, listening, there's also the part of implementing and actioning your thoughts and the things you're informed by. And I think each of you shared some valuable thoughts and I hope whoever's listening can just take value and actually put planning to what you've been told or things you want to implement for yourself as a young person. And I think that's always the goal with this podcast is that you bring young people on and not necessarily just young people starting their careers, people from 25 all the way up to 30, 40, and can just show you the progression in life and their own experiences. Because uh, a lot of times we cover different topics. One other topic we had was just the pressure of working in the corporate space, you know, nine to five, the concrete jungle mentality. And we spoke up with an episode about that. And just you hear people's different experiences and you realize some things you're not alone. And you actually see that you can also learn some valuable lessons from other people, from their experiences. So that's always the goal. But I appreciate each of you guys. Um, I'll let you know the podcast will probably be out by tomorrow. I'll send you the information, the links. Um, I'm also going to ask you to also share your personal contacts and links where you, people can reach out to you, as I've done before. So at least people can get engaged with you and trust believe most likely they will. Um, it's going to be a valuable opportunity for you to also share your information, your knowledge. But yeah, from my side, thank you. Um, I'm going to let you guys know when it's out. Um, just do enjoy the rest of your weekend and we'll keep in touch. But yeah, I don't know if anyone has any parting words anymore and say something else, but I will let you guys have contacts of each other in case you want to ask and engage with one another on a personal level. So yeah, that's it from my side. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. I'll be in touch. Cheers, guys. Thank Thanks, you. Peter. Cheers. Cheers, 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 Cheers. Bye, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. 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 Cheers.